Hello and welcome to another episode of My Life on the Line, a podcast by Ref Coach. My name is Jack and once again I'm joined by Ale and Benji. How are we lads? Hey Jack, hey Benji. How you doing boys? Morning guys. Morning, yes it is good morning. We're recording this on the 30th of August in, in Melbourne. Obviously quite a bit happening or starting to happen at the moment. The, the leagues over in Europe have, have finished and due to COVID, it's quite a quick restart with uh, the Community Shield in the UK last night. Arsenal beating a depleted Liverpool side. Obviously, Liverpool only finishing their Champions League campaign a week or two ago. Over in the States, for all our American listeners, that MLS is still going. They had their MLSs back and now they're back into their or have kicked off their regular season. And that's underway. And in Australia, we have the A-League Grand Final tonight between Sydney FC and Melbourne City, which will be refereed by Australian FIFA referee Chris Beath. So quite a bit happening all How over crazy. the world. How crazy is the break, by the way? I just, what what, what I, break? <laughs> well, exactly. There's been two weeks of, of maybe nothing or not even. I mean, I know yeah. Serie A is starting two weeks in the league as well. I'm pretty sure French League too. The, yeah. the teams that were playing in Europe, I know they're getting an extra week to rest. Yeah, it's crazy. Mental. Absolutely crazy. But Ale, you mentioned Europe. And obviously, you had a bit of heartbreak over the last couple of weeks in the Europa League final. So for those who don't already know, Ale is a massive Inter fan, grew up very close to Milan. So a team that's very dear to his heart, unfortunately losing the Europa League final. But Ale did watch it from a neutral perspective as well as an Inter fan and has done some great work on the Europa League final and the Champions League final too, looking at the referees. Yeah, I tried to look at it as a, as a neutral fan, but... You know, it still burns a bit. The first thing that Benji said when we, when he connected was like, yeah, still feeling it. And it's true. But <laughs> it was worth getting up very early. Obviously, here in Australia, it was about five o'clock in the morning. But two really enticing finals, two really well-contested match. And both had really good performances by the referees, in my opinion. The Europa League final, you know, I used doing the review as a little bit of therapy, to be honest, because I needed to get over... <laughs> as losing with an own goal of a bicycle kick of a defender, which interestingly enough was the defender who did the first foul in the second minute to give the penalty away to Inter. There was a bit of debate. I actually got a few questions about it, whether it was a yellow card or a red card, but you can read my opinion on the website. Makali did really well. His team did really well. No VAR intervention in both games, which was really good to see. I don't think VAR has been used a lot at all in the knockout staging since after the restart, as a matter of fact. And then in the Champions League final, my compatriot, uh, one of my favorite referees from Italy, Daniele Orsato. Ali has a, a bit of a man crush, I think. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I remember when, uh, when Orsato refereed um, Australia versus Uruguay. No, sorry, Australia versus Honduras before the 2018 World Cup. Jack, you and I were talking about it because uh, he refereed, I think he refereed over there. No particular episodes in that game. I think very well done by everyone. Good job. Again, VAR was Massimiliano Irati, another Italian. He's done World Cup final as VAR, Europa League final last year as VAR, and Champions League final this year as VAR. So one of the most well-regarded VARs in the world at the moment. I'm pretty sure he did the Club World Cup as well last year. A very experienced and strong VAR there. 
non-intervention, barely any check. Was a good guy, Bayern deservedly won, but... It was good to see as well a bit of a change up in the format of the final stages rather than the two-legged ties, which could often be quite defensive in the first leg and, and not necessarily indicative of just one football match, but rather a tactical battle to just see it. All the action played out over single leg ties was really good to see and might be something we see more of in years to come, which would be really exciting. Yeah. It's different, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, the, the home and away, you know, the Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday night of the Champions League, it's, it's what the Champions League is. I'm not, I'm not sure yeah, how it's I feel interesting. if they move to one leg. It's interesting because I'm pretty sure Chaferin, the UEFA CEO, said he was uh, quite interesting to see. And imagine those knockout games with fans. It would yeah. be ridiculous. It would be it's, such a huge a... advantage. If it's one game yeah. and you get it at home, imagine Madrid at home against, you know, a smaller European side. It, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it would be. That's, that's the main problem is the home advantage would be huge unless you make it like they did this year, Lisbon, Portugal for Champions League. And, a tournament. Yeah, but also you need to think about a commercial point of view. Think yeah. about how much money would be lost. Half as many you know? games, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'd, unless, unless they decide to go down the path of the World Cup with increasing numbers of, of games, uh, sorry, increasing number of teams that are yeah, part yeah. of it, and then you have more games, like you have around the 32, like the Europa League now. But who knows? We'll see. I think this year it's going to be the, the good old Champions League with home and away, so we'll see a lot more tactics in there. I think Derek's, Derek Rice's team, the Aberdeen, they actually won the Europa League preliminary stage. So they're looking like they're going into Europa League next year. He will be happy about it. Should give him he'll, a shout on, on Twitter about it. Yeah, he'll be a happy man. He loves his, loves his Aberdeen, the famous Aberdeen. Yeah, the Dons, every time I get on Twitter and I see his, his tweets, half of them are about the Dons and the rest <laughs> is about Bundesliga, really. Uh, <laughs> what a man. What a man. What a, what a commentator. Yeah, speaking of Derek and some of the guests we had, I am really happy with how the podcast has been going. I think I've learned so much out of this experience and it's been incredible to hear from all these different people from all different parts of football. It's been really outstanding. Talking about that, we had in episode four, a guest from PRO, the Professional Referees Organization, John Westbrooks. He's a sports scientist that looks after most of the MLS referees, including the Women National League referees and the U.S. soccer referee. And not long ago, just before, I'm pretty sure, Jack, was the, the week before the MLS's back final. Yeah, We caught up with him. We had a chat with him. He was in the bubble in Orlando at Disney World and uh, was amazing to hear some of the insights about what's going on over there so we recorded that session so here it is for you to listen hey how's it going there he is how are you mate not too bad yeah how's life in the bubble yeah where are you orlando ah so you're with the mls guys now at disney yep yeah they shipped me down here right before the final in utah definitely more strict than it was in utah Utah was was pretty laid back here. Yeah. Yeah. Every two days getting the uh swab up the nose, have to wear a badge and mask everywhere I go. How does it work? Because obviously you guys are with like MBAs there. I don't know if any other sports are there, but uh, obviously Disney's a pretty big place, but you got two full time comps there. That's a hell of a lot of people. Yeah, they're completely separate though. We have zero 
interaction or across with them. So they're, uh, yeah, they've got their own resorts they're staying in and their own training facility. So you're not, you know, you're not running into uh, the superstars of the NBA walking around Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Just casually hanging by the pool with LeBron. I wish, but nope. <laughs> Obviously, it's a, it's a tough situation you guys are in. I mean, it's for for our generation, but even other previous generation, it's unprecedented, really. Not only the physical aspect of how do you train, how do you keep fit, and like. I can't imagine being locked in a city. I mean, it's Disney World, so from the outside, it might sound like it's a bit more fun. But, you know, all I know is I see your Instagram photos with at the pool and shit, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, the pool's about the peak of uh, excitement here. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So how's it, how's it been going? How, how do you feel about, you know, the whole thing? And been, how long have you been there for now? So I've been here for two weeks. When I leave next week, I will have been gone on the road for 50 days. Oh, wow. So, a bit of a change. <laughs> yeah. Uh, went from all my time at home to 50 straight days in a hotel. So what's it like? Do you want to give us an overview of the bubble? Like, I find that really interesting. Uh, having seen like little bits and pieces on Instagram and stuff like that. But what is it? You know, first-hand account, what's it like being in the MLS bubble? Here in the MLS bubble, we're just in the – now it's the Dolphin Resort. And all of our referees are on one wing or one floor. And we basically will hop on the bus, go train at 9 a.m. And then we have a really nicely kitted out gym. So they created performance centers for all of the teams to share. And then we got our own. So during the initial rounds, when we had our full group of 44 officials here, we had to divide them into pods or training groups. So they didn't interact in case there was somebody that tested positive. It wasn't the whole group that then got quarantined. It was only that small pod. So when I first got here, I was having three-hour training sessions in the three one-hour training sessions in the gym and then a field session. So I was getting uh, probably four workouts a day in, which was pretty awesome. But otherwise, it's just kind of like you're living out of a hotel. So they'll do debriefs after the matches and then just eating kind of hotel buffet style food with just our group. So it's a big place. So you see the players walking around, but you don't have that much interaction with them. Like you have to swipe your badge to get into places and have a mask on at all times. Otherwise, it's basically like you're just living out of a hotel. So it's nothing super crazy, but it's weird to not have contact interaction with the outside world. So in Utah, we were in an apartment complex. And so I would take our van and run out and go to the grocery store and grab food for the group. So because we could cook our food, I was able to go on like 10k trail runs just kind of whenever I wanted. So it was that was a much more relaxed bubble, but they did a fantastic job because they had over 2,000 tests and no positive tests throughout the whole tournament. So it was once Orlando Pride had their issues and didn't come. There were no positive tests within the NWSL bubble, which was pretty awesome. I mean, the training conditions were almost complete opposites. So in Utah, you have the altitude and really dry air. And then here you have the heat and the humidity and really just wet, heavy air. So me, like just a personal example, I went from running like 42 minute 10Ks pretty consistently there to I couldn't even get through a full training session here without just about keeling over to, just because it was such a transition from the different types of 
uh, environment. Wow. wow. How did you pick the, the groups? Was it something based on different demographics or did you use any sort of type of training and fitness level, that sort of stuff for the training sessions? The referee groups here were all based off who they were going to work with in the game. So they were divided up into basically teams that would work the games together, kind of similar to how an international tournament would work. So that, and then so they just then trained in those groups as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So you were cooking in Utah or what was someone else cooking? Well, what, what's the signature dish? <laughs> I, I was I was not doing any cooking. Um, <laughs> I was actually very impressed with the uh, we were at the RSL training academy is where all the games and like our meals and our training were. I let the RSL training academy staff feed me and they did a absolutely fantastic job like the food here's not too bad but the food there i could eat it every day and be happy they did such a good <laughs> job cooking there and then some of the some of the referees would cook me food as well oh, oh wow winning <laughs> yeah was it at disney do you i remember when i was a kid and you know we'd go on these holidays to disneyland and you have to go to the the breakfast with the characters and you know you have your pancakes and then mickey mouse comes along <laughs> Donald dark you know goofy <laughs> are you guys is, is that how it works you know all the refs go down to breakfast and then mickey mouse comes along <laughs> unfortunately that would make it quite a bit better but no uh unfortunately we we get none of the fun we got to go golfing my first day here which was which was pretty cool so uh, couple alligators and a snake on the course. Oh, jeez. That's Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, none of the none of the other fun stuff. No getting to go ride on rides or anything like that. Uh, what's your handicap? Oh, oh yeah. Good, no, no. Good question. Uh, go down the golf theme. Ali and I have been really getting to our golf <laughs> during COVID. So. <laughs> yeah. What, what's your handicap? Oh, it was, if, if we're going off <laughs> this round, it was really high. It was, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm blaming it on the travel. <laughs> I'm gonna blame it on travel fatigue. It was a, it was not a good, not a good day for me. <laughs> How have you found it mentally? Obviously, being away from home a long time, a real high stress environment. How has the team, your team of reps, found it mentally as well? Because it'd be really challenging, I imagine. Yeah. So um, I'll start off with the NWSL one because there were quite a bit of unique challenges there. I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with like the Black Lives Matter stuff going on here and all of the controversy and stuff uh, revolving around the national anthem and kneeling and standing. And so our first set of games, the officials found out less than basically when they were getting ready to walk out for the national anthem, that the players would be going out and kneeling. So they weren't told beforehand. And so they weren't given an opportunity to discuss it as a group. And so they wound up standing because they didn't have time to discuss what they wanted to do. And they were just kind of thrown on the spot. And so then all of the social media blow up happened because of that. So that like the mental stress of that first couple of games was really, really high. So it took just a lot of interacting and just kind of listening to the ones that I was really close to there and letting them kind of get things off their chest and kind of talk through it and kind of work. We worked through things as a group and then just really working on keeping things lively at training, keeping training fairly short and not really kind of pushing the difficulty just to let them get all that mental stress out. Because you could imagine probably some of them, it was their first game in seven months, six months. Then right before there was some other issues involving like travel and getting testing before travel and then some waiver stuff that all leading up to right before their first game so they're dealing with all those first game jitters this game's 
the first nationally televised game on CBS. And then this gets thrown at these officials too. But I want to commend them for how tough they were because they went out and that first game was flawless. And it was huge for CBS because there were over 500,000 viewers, which is the most ever for a women's NWSL game here. So it was really cool to see. But it just was a lot of kind of gauging how they were feeling that day and adjusting training based on that. So one of the days I was really looking forward to getting a good sprint session in. And then I'm taking the group through the warm-up and you would have thought they were moving in quicksand. Like everybody was just just so out of it from a they just were mentally drained and so i ended up just switching the training session completely up and having them do some tempo stuff and kind of building in a little bit of levity to it which helped a whole lot and then the next day they were good to go to sprint so it was a lot of gauging just how people were doing and i had to pull people out of training sessions especially early on quite a bit because combination of the altitude and then just the mental fatigue, uh, which if you have uh, ever tried to pull a competitive person out of a training session, <laughs> it is not always the easiest thing to do. There were definitely a couple of times where I thought I was going to get punched, especially, especially <laughs> by a couple of the women. Like I, they, they, came, they came at me really, really pissed off that I was pulling them out of a training session. But part of that comes into the trust bit. So a couple that got really pissed hadn't spent a lot of time working with me. And uh, one in particular, she was like, I can push through it. I can go. I can go. So what I ended up doing was pulling one that knew me really well. I pulled her out as well and just kind of used her. I was happy with where she was in the training session. And I just kind of used her to help me convince the others to just go cool down and stretch and that I wasn't doing it to be mean to them, that it was in their best interest. And by the end of the tournament, one of them that was really pissed early on ended up deciding she wanted to work a lot more closely with me leaving the tournament because she come to understand that I had her best interest in mind during the training. So it was really cool to see that trust develop throughout the duration of the tournament. And honestly, that was one of the, it's a very unfortunate situation that we had to have a tournament like this, but man, I would love to have four a year and not have a season because 28 straight days of training with these officials was awesome. I, I made, I was able to make so many improvements with them, both in the weight room and on the field, just from getting to see them hands-on and adjust the training in a way that I can't do remotely. So I was, I was so spoiled getting to train them for 28 days. Was there things you took away though? Like you talk about, oh, you can't do remotely, but you know, what was it? Was it you were watching their form in the gym or? Yeah. So it was a combination of things. Some of it was like I talked about with the warm up. So it's hard for me to adjust a training session day of without being able to see them through the warm up. So yeah. there's days when they shouldn't really be sprinting, but I'm not there to catch it and say, hey, switch to this. It's things I can teach them over time, but it takes these experiences where they see me and learn what I'm adjusting it off of so then they can do it. So like this group, I can now coach them on, hey, if you're feeling like this on this day, adjust it to this. But without that time working with them, it's tough to say that because they don't understand what they're looking for during their warm up. So that yeah. was a, a really big piece for me. And yeah, the gym as well. Um, we have videos on our app that they use where they can see what they're supposed to do, but getting them in the gym, there's some of them that I could tell still hadn't been doing it right. So getting, I think we got probably 14 gym sessions in. And so getting that hands-on time with them to critique things and just tweak little things. And sometimes it's to push them to add more weight than they think they can. And then watching a light bulb go off when they're like, 
I can actually lift this much? It's like, <laughs> yeah, put the weight on. Like, don't be scared. That was a really cool part as well. I guess having them for that period of time in the same place with you would take uh, take away all the other distractions that normally they would have day in, day out. You know, when you are doing things remotely, maybe you go to the gym, then you go home, but you have so many other things on your on your mind, like I need to go home and prepare dinner and look after my, my place. And maybe you got kids, you got family. But when, when you're in that bubble, when you're 28 days just doing nothing else, it's hard to get distracted because... There's nothing else to do. So that surely um, it, it's beneficial when you when you get into that training mindset. Yeah, training and performance. We've had like, consistently, both in Utah and Orlando, the most consistently strong performances that we had. There were only really two bad ones in Utah and only, I think, three here in Orlando. Like people who typically are kind of up and down because they're being with the group and they're getting consistent coaching, like daily feedback from our coaching staff that's here, as well as just a schedule, like you said, without interruption and distractions. Like we've had such solid performances. It's been, it's been awesome. Also the lack of having to travel helps that quite a bit because you don't have to get on and off a plane. You don't have to change time zones. So I think that helps quite a bit as well. Yeah, I mean, having Howard, Greg down here, to go through debriefs after each set of matches. I, I think the group takes takes away a whole lot because they're able to work through things as a group and discuss it uh, while it's everything's really fresh. So I think that's helped quite a bit. So are you ready to become a referee now that uh, you've been uh, get, seeing all the coaching from uh, Howard Webb? <laughs> <laughs> nope. I'm, I'm happy to be a player. I'm, I'm happy to be a player in his field sessions, but nope. Still not picking up the whistle. <laughs> oh, you, you get to play uh, the, the the dummy. Yeah, you get, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he runs some pretty uh pretty uh, intensive field sessions, and so I've got a nice big strawberry on my leg. It's actually making me miss being a player. My heart rate will get up into the above ninety percent, and we'll do just some rotations, and yeah, I get a nice hard workout out of being out there, and we'll. The, kind, the way we've kind of got it set up here is if you're greater than minus two for days before a game, you'll act primarily as a player. And then minus twos will be the officials in the drill. And then minus ones will do their game prep and maybe do one rep if they want. But otherwise, the basically the minus three group get a nice big training load out of being a player. And then the minus twos get some game-like action and a little bit of a training stimulus. So. So it's a pretty nice program that we've got while we're here. That's a great setup too, because it like it would mix it up massively. If you you know you're in this camp for a month or six weeks, however long, but if you're getting to play, all referees are just failed players. So we can relive <laughs> our relive our glory days. So that I imagine for the refs, that would actually be really stimulating mentally. Like I know, kind of once or twice a month, we rock up to training. It's usually a Thursday, and um, the session might just you know you might do some sprint work or something, but the bulk of the session is just a game. And they're my favorite sessions of the month by far. Yeah, the, a lot of them have uh, really taken to putting in a really good effort while being players. And they'll they'll kind of like talk smack at each other. And so, yeah, it's been fun. Who's the best player? Uh, I would say probably uh, Alan Chapman. He played in USL, which is second division. I so, yeah, right he's... Now. Yeah, he's a he's a pretty good player. Yeah, but the the like having the group together for other training sessions has been really good as well. So when we've done our sprint sessions, 
we're getting people 95% plus of their max sprint speed just because they'll start like kind of chirping at each other and talking smack and then they'll start racing and all of a sudden we'll see times and speeds that they wouldn't normally hit unless they were there as a group kind of jawing back and forth. So yeah. it's it's been really fun. So I've gotten yeah. some really good sprint efforts out of the group. That always happens. Like I've always wondered, is it a mental thing or is it a physical thing? But it, it has to be mental with the challenge. Like when I train with a group, even if it's just training with one other person, it doesn't have to be the whole group. My performance always goes just up a notch, always. And maybe that's a poor reflection of my own discipline when I'm training on my own. But like, if I have someone else with me or if I'm with a group, performance is always, always high. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just a little bit more motivation. Like, so I train with Howard almost every day in the gym and we'll do these, we'll do these circuits. And if I'm doing it by myself, I'm going to go a lot slower. Like, I'll probably lift like the same amount of weight but it'll just be a lot slower. So I won't push myself quite as hard. And then when he's in there with me, we're just like going around and around. And by the time we're done with the fourth set, we're both just like passed out on the ground covered in sweat. So it's, it's <laughs> definitely a lot more fun to get to train with somebody. You know, next time you're in the gym with Howard, you should tell him you're on this brilliant refereeing podcast and this referee education program called <laughs> Ref Coach, and that he should come on. Yeah, I'll, I'll pitch it to him. I told him. I told him I had to leave our gym session early for this, so I I told him that I was I was on it. So oh, I'll, put in a, I'll put in a word for you guys. Oh, that would be <laughs> please do imagine. I I told Jack we were joking about it. And I'm like I'm I would probably cry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would because I would web he refereed the 2010 Champions League final, which is when my team Inter, which this morning beat Getafe to one in the Europa League. It's when Inter won the Champions League after 40 years of waiting. That year, I did stupid things to go watch Inter play. So <laughs> that year, to me, you know, it's just, I'll never forget it. And Howard was the referee of the Champions League final. So for me, you know, best referee in the world. <laughs> I'm not biased. I'm not biased. Can tell. Great to catch up with John there from the MLS hub over at Disney World in Orlando. Who would have thought that the MLS and the NBA would be playing out of Disney World? But I think COVID has thrown up situations none of us would have yeah. expected. That's Shame there's no Mickey Mouse serving in breakfast. There would have been. A... <laughs> I think we did touch on that, didn't we? Yeah. With no Mickey Mouse, no Donald Duck bringing around the pancakes. But maybe if they come back, well, hopefully they don't have to come back. But maybe that can be something <laughs> next time. <laughs> But it was awesome to catch up with John and we've got loads more exciting guests coming up on the rest of season one of My Life on the Line. Yeah, lots of interesting guests coming on. Our ex-strength and conditioning coach, Tom, he coached all of us, which was a bit of a laugh and a bit of a trip down memory lane, thinking about all the times we were training like pros or at least we thought we were. Oh, but also good to hear, it was great to reminisce, but to hear about his story. So he was an Olympic coach for the Papua New Guinea Olympic oh, yeah. team. And he, he's been coaching referees at the elite level, uh, professional referees, World Cup referees um, for the last couple of years. So it was great to get his insight, thoughts, comments, basically just just listen to his knowledge, I think was one of the best. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have uh, a friend of Benji, as a matter of fact. Yeah, we went beyond beyond football and spoke to Bill Mildenhall, who is a former FIBA international basketball referee, also played Australian rules football at the highest level and has some incredible experiences across the Australian domestic basketball league, the NBL, 
and no less than the Olympic Games featuring the Dream Team in 92. So many exciting stories to come in that episode. Really looking forward to sharing that one with you all. If you're a fan of The Last Dance, like I was, I mean, I know I would watch it all over again today and having no problems of just sitting through it. But I, I did grow up with MJ and, uh, and the bulls of the tree pit. The stories he had are amazing. Just in the thing that hit me the most when we spoke to him was the incredible similarities that there are between the two sports, between yeah. basketball and football. If you take out of context the fact that he was talking about basketball, you wouldn't know the difference. It yeah. was outstanding. So that makes me really feel like referees, we always say we are our third, the third team, we are our own family, but it's not just football officials, but it's also other sports because we see the sport we are part of from such a different perspective that it becomes almost unique across all the codes, which was amazing. Yeah, I think there's so many learnings that we can take as football referees from what Bill was saying, you know, the challenges they have between assessors and coaches where they have the assessors who obviously have to give a mark and you rank rank the referees yeah. and then they have the coaches, but they're, they're really trying to play with the, the difference between the two roles and the impact that can have on referee development. I thought that was fascinating and it's something that we've seen both here in Australia and the UK and I think it seems all around the world. So for yeah. me, that was, that was really interesting. Another guest we've got coming up, but an ex-FIFA American referee. So we'll leave it at that. A lot of interesting guests, definitely, and a lot of more coming. I'm really excited to see where this is going. But It's really important for us to say thank you to the people that supported us when we first started the group a couple of months ago. And one of those in particular was was RefsWorld, RefsWorld.com, uh, who supported us and helped us out with a couple of giveaways that we did on the group. And RefsWorld is the place to go for unique referee-specific equipment, and they supply our colleagues around the world. So if you're in Australia, it's RefsWorld.com. If you're in the UK, search RefsWorld UK. And if you're stateside, check out Top Ref for all of your referee equipment. A big thank you for them for supporting us early on. Benji, we got something very exciting coming from your end, don't we? We do indeed. Uh, in addition to the Facebook group and the podcast, there'll be plenty more ref coach action coming your way with our newsletter being launched very soon. We're going to have a, a monthly newsletter, which is going to have all your best ref coach content jam-packed into a nice news bite. Join our mailing list online and you'll be kept up to date with the latest and greatest ref coach news every month i think i might have to make sure i subscribe to that one benji there's so much going on on the group and <laughs> the videos and announcements honestly even though i'm part of it i struggle to keep up myself so that monthly newsletter will just remind me of all the things that have gone on uh in the community over the past month so good work there mate good stuff that may help also reminding you of all the meetings and stuff that we have coming up because you keep forgetting your calendar uh, is clearly up, not working well, my calendar works. We're just jumping between Zoom and Google Meets. It's keeping me on my technology toes. I do it on purpose. You know, I like to keep you up to date with all the latest technology, mate. <laughs> it's all for your developments, boys. You're welcome. Well, that was great, guys, to catch up. That was really interesting to hear back to what John had to say. Thank you for all the listeners. Our numbers are exceeded all of our brightest expectations. Yeah. We are very grateful for all of you. So keep listening to the podcast. Share the love with your friends. And if you have any feedback, we have been getting lots of emails and messages, which is great to see makes what we do worth spending the time doing it. So thank you for that, for everyone who reached out. And if you have any feedback, if you have 
any suggestions for any guests that you would like to hear about or anything in particular, you can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or simply send an email to hello at refcoach.org or just simply visit the website. Absolutely. Now that get on all the socials, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Have I missed anything there? Only fan. No. <laughs> now we got a Patreon account. <laughs> Boys, great to catch up. Good to hear from John, like you said, Ale, and looking forward to the series continuing. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Happy ref See ya, boys. Happy ref coaching. <laughs>